0: All right, so I want us to get back in our uh, Roman heads-on. This is a letter that goes out to the church in Colossae, and it is pervaded by Roman uh, influence. So uh, there was a bit of a long-winded uh, introduction last week. Perhaps, Perhaps you thought it was amazing and it breezed by, but there was a lot of information about Rome. I just want to recap some of that stuff so you're aware. It's helpful for us to understand the letter if we understand a bit more about the context. So there's two things, really. Uh, for the benefit of this talk. First of all, the Roman Empire brought a real f- cu- culture fusion. Remember the idea we talked about last week, this idea of the Pax Romana? Romans had the strong arm, they ruled the Mediterranean and beyond, and because of their strong arm there was lots of movement of people, and I, I had some uh, borderline dodgy anecdotes about um, The fact that you could have uh, belly dancers from North Africa, you could have a Spanish sitar player, you've got the guy with a spice rack from uh, Syria, and you've got the French guy that can cook, and all these worlds all of a sudden come together and you've got an amazing night right there. You've got this real fusion of things going on. That's what the Roman Empire brought, and that's what empires bring today. It's what progress brings today. People come together in the empires of the world. It brings this fusion, and it's awesome, and it's brilliant and it was happening in the church, and it was awesome, and it was brilliant, but it was also difficult to deal with. So There was this fusion in the church, so you've got this church that's meeting, that's Colossae, this new church, and you've got a guy who's coming along to this church, and he's brought something else in with him. He likes to, he's very fond of the ocean, and he likes to pray to the ocean, and these guys in this church look at this guy who prays to the ocean and goes, yeah, this guy seems to be doing all right for himself, so... This sort of comes together. You've got a guy from Judea who thinks we should eat a certain way and worship a certain way and make sure, you know, there's lots of ritual and all sorts of that involved. So there's all of this stuff coming together into this church. This real beautiful, but like risky fusion. This is what Paul writes into. That's the first thing. Remember the cultural fusion. Forget the belly dancers. Hard to do it when I keep repeating the word belly dancers, but forget the belly dancers and consider this fusion in church, this mishmash of things that are going on, and the church, and Paul looking at the church and going, oh, need to write into this. Second thing, Rome offered more at the time. Rome offered more. Let me read you a quote from a historian whose name I won't pronounce anything like right. It's Livy, I just... just, just uh, so that you know I'm not making it up. I think that's helpful. He wrote in about AD 60, or he lived in about AD 60, so he's writing right into the times uh, when this was all happening in Colossae. He wrote about Rome in this way. It is not without good reason that gods and men chose this place to build our city. These hills, and you can see he's falling in love with Rome as he talks about it. These hills with their pure air, this convenient river, by which crops may be floated down from the interior and foreign commodities brought up. A sea, handy to our needs, but far enough away to guard us from foreign fleets. Our situation in the very center of Italy. All these these advantages shape the most favored of sites into a city destined for glory. This is how Rome, I don't know if you remember the film Gladiator, there's a dream. That was Rome. This is how Rome was perceived around its colonies at these times. And loads of its citizens, probably, were never going to go to Rome. But there was whispers of the greatness of Rome. You know, it had pretty much we think Sky's got a good entertainment package right now. We had pretty much the best entertainment package going. If you're a city, if you're a citizen of Colossi, there's the stories of the gladiators, there's the stories of, you know, the circus. Of Rome it was just spectacular. it was just a spectacular place. It was a city, so people said, you know of marble, statues everywhere, fine arts everywhere, just the best. and these were the whispers that would go around its colonies. Rome is amazing, and I guess over, as as you, as you see the is it the aqueducts and you see the water coming in and you see the improvements in sanitation, and you see the odd little gladi- gladiator coming past, you start to think maybe if you're a citizen of Colossi, you start to think. Even a Christian at the Church of Colossae, you think, oh, maybe these Romans, I've got it all right. Maybe this empire is is awesome. Maybe they have got the answers." These, this is the world. This is part of the world that the Church in Colossae are, you know, are absorbing this Christian truth into. By the grace of God, a church has sprouted up. It's it's wide-eyed towards the possibilities of Rome, as everybody else is, and it's got this this fusion of stuff going on that we will that theologians will refer to as syncretism just this mad mix of stuff and you say that's really distant ash i don't i don't care for us here at christchurch it's not a lot different than us we've got this most of us some of us by the grace of god a church has popped up we've got a faith thing working out in us there's this huge distraction of the modern day empires, of hope in other things. And we live in a culture which says, it's all good. Grab a little bit of this, grab a little bit of that, pull it all together, you'll find your happiness there. We're not in a very different boat to the church at Colossae. And Paul says to them, in this text, as he does to all the other churches that is involved with, there's something, man, there's something that you need. There's something that I have got to tell you about in this in this fractious distracting environment that you're in there's something that you need and we we'll read about it in verse nine since the day we heard about you Paul hears about this story this church popping up we have not stopped praying for you we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives this is Paul's this is Paul's beef with with lots of the churches around at the time, popping up popping up everywhere. And this is a difficult conversation, but it's, it's in all the letters, so we've got to deal with it. They're saved. They've positioned themselves in a safe spot. They are saved. They're going to heaven. This is happening all over the place. That's happened. But Paul, as he writes in all of his letters, and this is his big beef, he says, you're saved. Tricky word, sanctified. He says, but you're not you're empty you've 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 had this incredible revelation about Jesus Christ incredible revelation about the god that created all this stuff and yet within that somehow you, and you're saved you've got glory to look forward to and yet you're you're empty paul tells them to be filled up there's two ways i think to to perceive how Paul tells the different churches to be filled up as he goes through in all these various letters. And it might shed some light on how we understand this because it kind of depends where you are on the journey as to how negative or positive Paul is about how filled up you are. And some of what you've got to do as as church is think about where you are on this journey and whether Paul's going to tell you this in a nice way or he's going to tell you it in a more abrupt way. And it helped me to sort of fathom it out. When you think about... As a parent, when you when you say around the tea table, this is, and if you've got kids, you'll sort of half, be halfway to understanding that, or if you're, you've been in a family, you'll be halfway to understanding that. And you say to your kids, or you say to the people at the table, "Are you fi- are you full? Are you full up?" And you can you can say this in two ways. It can be negative. You can say it quite aggressively, quite sarcastically to your kids who are not eating. You say, "Are you are you full? Are you full?" And what you're saying really is, "You're not." You're not eating enough. You're kind of having a go at me. You're not eating enough food. Or you can say, positively, spin it around, to the kid who's in a slightly different spot. You say, Have you had, are you full? Have you had enough to eat? It's, it's all in the eyebrows. I've got good eyebrow work, mate. It's all in the eyebrows. Have you, are you full? Have you had enough to eat? Which means there's loads more. There's loads more. And that, I think that's helpful for us to think about when Paul writes these letters. Sometimes he's a bit like, you're not eating anything. It's ridiculous. You're not eating anything. And sometimes he's like, there's loads more. In Colossians, he's a bit more than if he's more fond of them, if he likes the climate, what it is, he's a bit more, there's loads more, there's loads more to eat. Helpful way for us to think about it. But just to reflect, he's not always that joyful. And the people that kind of gripe him the most are uh, the Corinthian church. And he's, in his anger, he's quite funny, I think, Paul. So It's just worth reading a little bit about this, just to see what it's like when you're on the sharp end of you're not eating enough. So in 1 Corinthians three and I'm sorry that we've not got this text up but you can check it against it later he says brothers and sisters I could not address you as people who live by the spirit but as people who are still worldly mere infants in Christ he has a go at them you're just kids mere infants in Christ you're saved but you're unfilled nothing's going on there mere infants in Christ I gave you milk not solid food he's having a dig I give you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, you are, are you not worldly? Saying you're still, I planted you, this church grew, you've had this amazing revelation, and I come back and we should really be having some really deep spiritual conversations. We should be really reaching out to other people. We should be amazed by what God's doing in our lives. And yet I come back and I've got to start off where I left you again with, with milk. There are children where adults should be. It's kind of like he's saying, I, I wanted to come and have some steak with you. I wanted to come and have a real meaty, earthy meal. And I'm sat here and we're drinking milk again. I went out um, last night, got invited to a 21st birthday party. felt awesome about life last night, I really did. And I had steak and everybody else had steak. And I knew I was preaching on this tomorrow, and I was just, in my mind, I'm like working this out. I'm like, Paul is essentially saying here that at a gathering like this, and he's kind of having a dig, he's like, it's like me having my steak, the guy next to me having his steak, and having good, you know, chewing up of the steak, and there's a guy sat opposite, 40-year-old guy, and he's there with just a glass of milk. He's just like saying, how weird would that be? That, that random thought popped into my head as I was out eating steak last night. Because you you'd be looking at me, you'd be going, what's wrong with you? What's, this is a this is a steakhouse, and you're having milk. It's kind of weirder than that. It's like he's got a little si- sippy cup. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, look, look at this. You need to, you need to. How are you? St- how are you still in this spot? How are you still here? It's an incredible put down. You know, he's dissing him. Remind you know, there's a there's a, there's a child in the place where an adult should be, and it might help you to think about it like this. You know. um... Again, if you've got kids, you'll go to these soft play centers, these, the harvesters, you've got the pub, the food, and then you've got the soft play center next door. You, maybe, maybe you avoid them now like the plague. I avoid them now like the plague. But you go and get something to eat, and then you'll be in there. You know, I don't have to go there anymore. My kids have grown up. But you go in there, and you're wandering about with your kids, three kids running around. They don't do it anymore. They've all grown up. You know, I'm not saying that. But then you get, you get to like a ball pool or some, something like that, and all of a sudden, there's this guy, there's this guy there. And these kids... And you're looking down, and he's, and he's like just laid out doing star shapes or something like that. He's had a bad day. And you're looking at him, and you're like, where's his kids? And his kids aren't there. It's just this guy in this ball pool. And you're thinking to yourself, what is? And I've been that guy. I've been the guy in the ballpool, But you're looking down, and you're thinking, what is going on here? It's just weird. And that's, that is what Paul is saying about these Christians in Corinth. He's saying, man, you, you, should, not, you should not be here. Be drinking milk. You should have moved on somewhere else. It's a, real, like it's a real tough conversation to have with the church at Corinth, but this conversation that Paul has, and I guess what we've got to do with this is think, well, where am I here? How long have I been down this road? Am I still, am I still quarreling and falling out? Am I still in, in this spot? Paul would have like a real sharp word with us. Am I still getting, am I still stuck here? Am I still just drinking milk? Paul says to the Colossians, and he says to us, There is so much more. This is the flip side. I'm not going to have a go at you now about not eating. I'm going to say to you, as kids that I love on the journey. There's so much more. There is so much more to eat. Back on the text, let's explore what's more. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. What are we praying for? We continually ask God in the environment that you're in to fill you. Fill you with what? Fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you you, to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. theres We're going to get into it. There is so much more. Paul, so Paul can write this a little bit, I think. Paul gets this because he's lived this life where God has, he's, he's gone out killing Christians. He's gone out killing people. He's been this shockingly bad guy and he's had this revelation of Jesus Christ in his life. And he can say stuff like, I'm completely content whether I've got loads of stuff or whether I've got nothing. And Paul sees it, and he looks around at Christians who just have got saved and are just hanging on for heaven. And he says to them, there's so much, it's like there's so much more. If we've still not got it yet, I'll, and maybe you think I'm laboring this point, but there is so much more. It's like I saw, um, I was watching some random TV show the other day, and I saw a tourist... I think there was a tourist outside Big Ben, and they did this. They had this, I don't know what this, I hope this is not an offensive hand gesture, but they had this hand gesture, and the comment on the screen was like, Lond- uh, UK, done. Like, it's Big Ben behind them, and UK, done. And I remember thinking to myself, and sometimes you watch travel shows like this, and you're like, is that, is that the UK done? Is that? Does that encapsulate the UK for you? When you think about that, just standing in front of Big Ben, seeing the Queen's, backyard from the London Eye, something like that, does that encapsulate London to you? And I was watching it thinking, there is so much more to the UK than that. You've got to get some coal under your fingernails. You've got to have picnics in the rain. You've got to experience the pain of a penalty shootout. That's what it means to know what being from the UK is. You've got to get Monty Python. There's so much more, there's so many more layers to being from the UK than just standing outside of Big Ben. And Paul says to them this, he says, look at Christianity, look at what God's doing. So much more there. So let's fire in to what more uh, there is. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so you may live a life. And uh, John said, in the reading. It's really interesting. He said it's one big long sentence Now, my perception of grammar is so poor I never noticed that. I just noticed that there was this this big mad long swirl of information that had God at the beginning and God at the end the whole time and you think as a Christian sometimes you think this is about self-help. It's about what I can work to do. It's not. See the sentence. It's God at the start, God at the end, God in between. It's just this mad swirl of God Involvement. We continuously ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. This is the more than. So, first thing, just to point out, there's loads more for us to know about the will of God. There's loads. This is what He's saying to you. There's, and so often like we're just, it's like we're a Christian. What's the will of God? Do I end up going to heaven? That'll do. That's a plan. I'll, I'll go with that. That's, that's as much. You don't need to tell me any more than that. Paul says here, there's so much more to the will of God. And he says, you can get filled up with this. It could be the case in your life. So I guess by default he's saying you've not got much sense of what God's will is. He's saying you could be filled up by the will of God in your life what god wants for his people what kind of world god wants how god pe- wants people to experience it how he wants them to act towards each other in it how he wants to reach people in it how he wants to reshape individual souls how he wants to reshape our minds and our hearts these kinds of things he says you can be you can you can be filled with this stuff and then the next step is if you are if you are filled and i guess you can see the picture as if you are filled with this if this is your storyline if you've If you've gone from not really knowing what God's will is at all to to seeing it, then it changes your whole outlook. C.S. Lewis described Christianity as a long walk there and walk back. He said, pre-Christianity, I walked there, I saw the world, then I met somebody, and then I walked back the other way and I saw the same things, but I just saw them all differently. See, he was filled up. He had a completely different outlook. And what is the result of the outlook? I think it's there in verse nine or 10. And so you please God and bear fruit in every good work. You see the high bar that that is? Pleasing God, bearing fruit in every good work. Let's just dig around at what that might mean. I don't think bearing fruit in every good work is that everything you touch turns to gold. I don't think it's that. I don't think it makes you like some kind of, it's not, it's not describing some crazy random tree and all of a sudden you have like, I'm a mum and all of a sudden I'm an awesome mum and all of a sudden I can knit really well and I've just turned my hand to knitting and now everyone really likes me because I can knit really well and also my career's going really well. It's not, I don't think he's saying that. I don't think he's saying mad random things are going to happen in our life. I think it's more like, and if you see it in the context of the verses, it's more like now I see God's plans. Now I see what his will is and I'm filled up with what his will is. I recognize and I've got more of a sense of where things are heading. And that shapes my life more. And as I align with this information, as I place myself in this flow, I'm doing more things that are worthwhile doing. That is the fruit. It's not that you've just gone nuts and all of a sudden you can do stuff that you couldn't do before. It's it's more like, this is the more than, it's more like you've really found who you are in light of your creator. And it brings more meaning and more purpose to life. That's the first more than. Hold on to that one. Second more than, and the second more than is the last more than. Purpose and meaning is the first more than. Second more than it's the next part of the swirl. God's at the start and the beginning, starting at the end again. It's joy in every circumstance. Not something I see lightly, knowing what goes on in my life and other people's lives. second part of verse 10, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father. So in this little bit, in this little swirl, this talk of strength and power for life, but notice... It's not our strength. You see that? It's not our strength. Whose strength is it? And it's not, and this is the real headache, it's not so that we can win at life. So we've got strength, and it isn't ours, and it's not so that we can win at life. One of the common messages that I guess that we hear, 21st century, is that you tr- you train to get fit, to be strong. The, the reason that you want to be strong in anything, in career, physically, anything, is, that you, is so you can keep your problems at bay, isn't it? Get really healthy, keep illnesses at bay, do really well in your career, keep other problems at bay. That's kind of a philosophy. It's even a bit of a philosophy in churches. Some churches kind of will preach that kind of prosperity, come to church, and we'll keep your problems at bay. I I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see it. I don't see it here either. Because for most of us, what happens? Problems come, don't they? What use then is a message like that when problems come? What does it mean for our faith? I think Paul's saying something even more awesome, even more awesome than you can keep your troubles at bay. I think he's saying this. I don't think he's saying we get power to win at life and keep everything at bay. I think what he's saying here is that we get power to thrive and flourish in the reality of struggle in our life. I think that's what he's saying. Now this... This would be hard to hear from most people who write about that. Not everybody's got the authority to write about being joyful in suffering, I don't think. If the Sultan of Brunei wrote a book called The Struggles of the Common Man, don't buy it because he doesn't know what's going on. But if the Apostle Paul writes about the struggles of the common man and says in that we can know joy and we can be thankful, then we should listen because we know that the Apostle Paul, as he lived his Christian life, spent time in jail. He was beaten black and blue. He was regularly dragged outside of cities and stoned, and yet he ceaselessly prayed and praised God. He saw his chains as a joy, and he sang in jail. We can listen to the Apostle Paul. Where does he get that strength from? How does this this part of the swirl work? Our strength, our Christian strength, does not come out of a workout. It's not if we read our Bibles every day. It's not if we make sure we come to church every week. It's not even that. See where the strength is? It's in his glorious might. We are as strong for life as we are in his glorious might. What is his glorious might? What gives us that strength? What's the strongest thing God's ever done? Throwing the stars into space requires a bit of strength, I think. But sending your son to die on the cross, that's the strength. That's the strength that we have. We are as strong for life as we are dependent on the story of the cross. And what kind of strength does the cross give us? Strength to battle our troubles away? No, that's not the story of the cross, is it? That's not what Jesus does. It's strength to endure. And what does it mean? What does the story of the cross give us that no other act of strength gives us? We have hope. And in endurance, we have a story of endurance where we have actual joy and thankfulness. This is our story. This is our strength. Not that everything's okay. Not that we bat everything down. But that in the traumas of life, ridiculously and incredibly, but because Paul says it and because the Bible says it, We've got hope in it because Jesus lived it and died it. We can know in the toughest of times joy and thankfulness. I've got to be honest, and and this is what Paul's saying here. Because I see that and I think I want that. Because I know that I can't keep my struggles away. I want that. Paul says at the end, verse 12 and 13, and we're kind of wrapping up here. Talks about the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And he sort of says, there's two kingdoms. Two kingdoms. I want you to think about which kingdom that, that you need, that you think is most useful to you. There's the kingdom of today that you see around you. Church of Colossians, it's, it's the Roman Empire, but we've got our own kingdoms too. And they will present logical and forceful arguments. And strong, logical directions for dealing with life's troubles. And they'll they'll lead you to think that saving faith can be anything that you want it to be. But there's also another kingdom. He calls it the kingdom of light. And I think he's saying, think about this. Think about this way of living. In this kingdom, you find hope outside of the tangible and the obvious. In this kingdom, life has got hidden layers of meaning. This kingdom is not gained by cherry-picking the best of everything, it's from finding the one truth that will save you. This is the start of Colossians. This is the beginning of being a Christian, and there is more. Let's pray that we find it.